The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be streamed live. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new, new, new year. Say, new, new, new year. year, new year episode of Critical and Thinking Podcast. Ty Barnett, Ian Harris, <clears throat> and it is 2021 uh, officially. Yes, we made and, it. Uh, we, 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 we made it, it damn it. We got, that's, that's we got, we got day. 20 more days before we get to drag this motherfucker out by his fake ass orange hair. Yeah. And they're, they're pushing, they're pushing hard, bro. But you know what? Here's what, and, and, and for the people uh, uh, that didn't hear the conversation that we had before we went live, Ian and I were talking about how uh, the, the anger and, and animus that, that existed for the last four years for, from people like us, uh, that just, I mean, our stupid asses believing in facts and science and shit like that. It's not totally dissipated. It's still there because, you know, this, you know, this dude has kind of left a really shitty mark. Uh, but what has happened is we've been able to um, we've been able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's that's where we are now. And that's where we started to come from ever since the election results were certified. Well, so well, now, now they're trying to get now they're trying to get Mike Pence to uh, um, to not count the votes that he doesn't want yeah. to count. He says he's not going to do it, which is which I, I mean, I can't imagine him just like I can't imagine anybody standing for that. Like, I'm just not going to count the votes. I don't want to count like you. Fuck you. You can't do that. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, so uh, by the way, we have a guest. Our guest on the show is our uh, actually our, the, the producer of the show. Uh, please welcome <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul. The Paul we always talk about. Is Paul. hey, Paul's up? also a comic. This, everybody, this is the Paul. Whenever we say, hey, Paul, we good on the thing? Did, we, did, did you do the thing? We good? We sat on the thing? This is the <laughs> Paul we're talking about right here, you guys. You have a face with the name. Paul. Which, by the way, every time... Every time you guys have, uh, like, at the end, when you're like, I'm sorry, Paul, for going over, I'm, like, telling my computer with my mic off. I'm like, oh, it's cool, bro. Do your thing. <laughs> I was like, we're good. We got time. <laughs> Yes, we yes, right. I forgot we do have that tendency to go over, go depending over. on what it is. You know, sometimes we we try to keep it closer to the time. But yes, uh, thank you for your patience of, over these years, bro. Uh, we is, actually is, is anyone hearing? The, is anybody hearing background noise? By the way, I don't. I, I don't. No, I don't hear anything. Um, we actually used to do so the weird. show in studio, uh, which seems like a like light years ago. Uh, you know, when we used to do have the studio over there in uh, near Koreatown. So uh, it was a nice little drive. And then, you know, this, and now we were doing it this way. So uh, everybody, again, welcome. Happy New Year. And you know what? We weren't even going to do the show at first. Like we hung out last night uh, to bring in the new year. Uh, we were like, as, as Ian left the house yesterday, he was like, so you want to do the show? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hit me up in the morning, bro. Cause the you you you're talking to me after two tequilas. Uh, what'd you make a Moscow Mule and yeah. and a uh, lasagna? So so I was not in any mood to do it, and you can see in my eyes that I'm still not 100 percent there. But to everybody out there, again, happy New Year! And so I posted something earlier to ask people. Uh, and and if you if you're watching, please comment and uh, and let us know uh, what are you looking forward to mostly in 2021, and what are you happy to let go of in 2020? Yeah, but by the way, I don't know what's up, guys. Still, I still if nobody else is here, it's fine. It's just I still hear 
or in, in like a, a delay, I hear people, some, it, it's faint, but I still hear something in the background. So I don't know if someone's audio's up, but um, <clears throat> whatever, if no one else hears it, we're cool. Um, by the way, uh, Robert, uh, Robert says, can each comedian try to do a Trump impression impersonation? Uh, <laughs> Ooh, no, nah, that's in, that's in. No, I don't know about Paul, but everyone that's can do China, Trump. China, That's about it. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fake news. Fake. <laughs> uh let's see I'll, I'll give my 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 trump impression uh this is coming to you live from sony studios how about that there's a lie just a regular lie count right that's your count right um i will, I will so, not be in prison that's fake exactly. i will not so, be in prison Let's start with um, let's start with looking uh, with Paul. Paul, what what? First of all, how was your New Year? What'd you what? How'd you do? What'd you do to celebrate it? New Year was dope. Well, now that it's like you know we're we're we live in a virtual world. Uh, we actually had a virtual comedy show for the East Coast people, so I was happy because I was like, we get it, you know, we get to end early. It's gonna be dope. And then I, this is my newfound thing that i picked up in 2020 which is so ridiculous i never would have thought i would do this but now i uh dj comedy shows <laughs> that's like oh, a new, a new job it. that i do so i'm over here playing uh you know bell biv devoe and all these things for <laughs> for people online nice uh, so i stayed on after the show and dj for whoever would stay until the pacific uh one so it was like two hours Ooh. we had like 30 people stay so i was just spinning wow. and telling stories and stuff it was really cool Belbin yeah. did you all do a running man the running man competition <laughs> yeah 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 we all did it's it's a uh, uh what do i say i play all the i play all the urban music that white people want to hear that's pretty much that's pretty much it. my dj which it's Belbin devoe is pretty much the temptations to old white folks yes <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what they are <laughs> Yeah, so it it was dope uh, being able to still do comedy on a New Year's show. Yeah. And I told people, I was like, if I wasn't here, if we were open and everything, I'd probably be performing at some Chinese restaurant. So I was just happy to do Uh, comedy wherever I could. uh you know what dude we uh i did it i did a zoom show we had people at the house and then i had to step away for a minute to come do the zoom show in 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 in, uh in sony studios here uh and and so uh it was really a quick like a really quick thing and i was sitting there thinking though if i had to pick something good a silver lining about everything being virtual now it would be that because you know we had people we had guests over and then i could just step away for a minute do the thing and then uh, step out. So it was fine. And Ian and I were talking last night because we were watching the, um, the celebrations from uh, New York. First of all, it was weird to see New York empty on, on in Times Square. That, that was one of the craziest sights ever. Uh, and then we were thinking about the performances. And we were looking at, like, remember how we were like, wait a minute, so they got to wait around all that time? To, <laughs> to, like, what if, you, what if you that performing is like, hey, man, look, let me just do my set and get the fuck out of here. I don't want to have to stick around. I want to go drink just like everybody else. I don't want to have to do that. Uh, you know, it, uh, by the way, a couple of people over here, Robert saying that getting rid of the orange monster is the best. Hey, Alicia's on. Uh, uh, J.E. saying uh, uh, SDNY, Southern District, New York, criminal charges. These are all our, these are all everybody's, uh, everybody's New Year's resolutions, I think. And Joey, go, that's fair. Joey says Happy New Year. By the way, Joey, I hope you come. I, I, I've been trying to. It's my. I, I apologize, Joey. At least he finally got it. He asked me about. Uh, I don't know. Six months ago to help him uh, do a like a parody song 
of a of a Zappa song that was a, that was originally um, about uh, Nixon, and he wanted to do a, a, an updated version with Trump. And uh, it it's taken me. I'm not a lyric writer necessarily, and it, it took me so long to even we got like half of it done. It's a huge, huge, really long song, and um, and then it was like a, a couple more months go by, and then it's like, hey, are we gonna finish this thing? <laughs> like, like, and then um, another friend, uh, George Rob, uh, helped out as well. So now he's got it, and he just put he just sent it to me right before this. He sent me the uh, the 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 track that's with the with the the temp. Uh, the the vocals on it he's putting it all together but um mm-hmm. i hope he gets it out and i hope it goes it, i hope it goes it's 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 pretty cool it's pretty funny and it's like i said it's it's the uh joey what is it's the uh uh dickie's such an asshole or donnie's such an asshole uh so it's oh like, yeah yeah they, you gotta debut it on here when it's done yeah yeah when it when it when it's all done let's let's play it on here it's, it's good it's funny and it's like you know zappa was zappa's always was always great to begin with but um yeah, the updated the updated version for for Donald Trump. Uh, hopefully, it'll be maybe it'll be a nice like boom, get your ass out the door. Yes, Trump song. Um, um so uh, Paul, what are you looking forward to? Wait, okay, wait a minute. First of all, what was the what was the biggest relief you had from twenty twenty being over with? And then, and so two part question: What was the biggest relief you had from twenty twenty being over with? And what are you looking forward to most? In man, I don't know. Like by the way, everybody else here, a, same same question. 2020 was such a like just the entire year as a whole and it was fitting so like in december i didn't really tell anybody because i wasn't trying to get people to worry but i even finished out the year in december by getting covid so i had it in december yeah so that like wiped out my december it was crazy so it's like i literally lived like the 2020 experience of just everything losing my business like all that stuff was insane so I'm looking forward to just getting all that stuff in the past and seeing what the next chapter is. What, what's cool about it is seeing everybody adapting and seeing everybody finding a new way in this like new entertainment world. So mm-hmm. I personally feel like I've kind of set myself up with, you know, my virtual production company and all this stuff to really thrive in 2021. So push that as hard as possible. And honestly, I think when everything opens up, I still think virtual is still going to be a huge part of the entertainment scene in addition to live events. Uh, you know what? It's funny you say that because Ian Ian has a, a a theory on that. We were talking um, not too long ago. I don't know if you remember or not, Ian. And we were talking about how once everything opens up, you know, because comedy has been hit really hard. Like, I mean, it's right. been. I mean, oh, I, I haven't I haven't been consistently performing since March. Um, and uh, so much so it's weird because I had to fill out some paperwork for something. And, and so my wife was like, didn't you do some shows this year? And I'm like, no. And so I had to go all the way back to January <laughs> to when I was like, oh, I, I did do some shows in January. So but Ian and I were talking and he said that he thinks that it's going to be this huge boom because people, as soon as, as, soon as every, all the bands are lifted, everyone's going to want to go to somewhere to watch comedy everywhere. Uh, or to watch live performances. So it's interesting you say that. And so, Ian, do you think, do you think to Paul's point, do you think it's going to still be that mix of virtual? Because to the good thing about things being virtual is that you've learned how to adapt, Paul, and you, you've actually created a, a market for yourself in this new world. So, Ian, do you think that how much of that do you think is true versus like people like, fuck that, I'm not getting on my computer. I- you know, <laughs> if I don't have, to. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to do this virtually. Um, 
I, I, I know. I mean, at least comedy. Comedy is different. Like, yeah, maybe music. I mean, we're already kind of doing that. With I mean, people have been going live and doing playing songs on Instagram or YouTube live for a while. Um, but I mean, I, I think the boom is definitely going to happen for live entertainment. People want people want to get the fuck out. They want to go do stuff. So it's like start start planning. You know, twenty twenty two tours and into twenty twenty one tours now. Plan so we got another out. year. We got another book, year. Book the theater right now while while the while they're 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 desperate for money. Get a good deal on your theater and then do a fucking twenty date tour in around the country. You'll make some money. But I think. Um, I, I think where where it could be, and I've been, and actually Paul and I have talked about this too, and I've talked about this with a few people, um, and and I'm sure not sure what you ever, whatever happened with them, but I had a friend who was doing a live. They were supposed to help us on the podcast, and uh, they were supposed to do some stuff with Paul. That um, they do a live stream, uh, a live stream uh, kind of selling of stuff, kind of like a Q, whatever that thing is, like the, um, you know, where they they they, they auction shit off on TV. What's that channel called? Uh, Oh, like the QVC? QVC, show? yeah. So they do one of those, and it's really successful. They get hundreds of thousands of, of people uh, on there. And what I've been saying, which they, we should have started doing this in, in April, but we asked, I asked like three comedy clubs, and they all said no. Um, I think what we should have been doing is the improv or the factory or whatever should have had people on the stage with nobody in the audience, except for maybe the other comics who would be, you know, so you have an eye contact and maybe a couple people. So you have a little bit of someone to talk to all wearing masks and, and, and social, socially distant and do your, do your set on stage at this place and live stream it. And they should have done a regular every Friday at eight o'clock. There's a show at the improv or wherever the fuck comedy club it is. Right. And a virtual show, build their audience, um, and then they can go all around the country, build their build, and they could you, they could get celebrities. I mean, it's, if it's a big club, it's a comedy store, whatever. Dave Chappelle, you get Joe Rogan, whoever's in town. Build your audience all around the country. That every Friday night, this club has their Zoom show, and then I think when things go back to normal, you don't stop doing that. What you do is, especially even if you're like a club, you're you're you know you're you're a laughs comedy club in Tucson, and you do and you start doing a virtual show now. When you open up you keep that Friday first show as the virtual show. So people all over the country or the world can know that they can click on at eight o'clock this time every Friday and watch the comedy show in real time, the hour and a half. And I think, and, and then you could start selling tickets. Yeah. The tickets could be, could be cheaper, like, you know, cause you're watching it online, but instead of spending 20 bucks to go to the comedy club and two drink minimum, you get to watch one show from that club a week for you know whatever it's five bucks it's ten bucks to to pay for it and watch it zoom at home um right. and i think that's a way that they could easily make revenue stream too because there's people who like like again if ty you and i are out if we're out in tucson or albuquerque or something and we're doing a show and it's it, we're doing you know wednesday through sunday and we got two shows friday two shows saturday and our friends in in kentucky and california know that we're going to be performing at eight o'clock on friday and that's going to be live streamed in front of a real audience, then I think, and they can pay money. That's, that's more revenue. For us. That's more revenue for the, for the comedy club. Yes. Yeah. But organized enough to fucking do that is the question. We're talking comedy well, clubs. You can't even sell tickets. I honestly think that the clubs are afraid just based on the response to doing virtual shows. The only club that ended up doing really like virtual shows is flappers. You know, that's the only club that I've seen 
consistently put right. out virtual stuff but even yeah. then it seemed a little weak i mean what what people right. need to embrace i think because i was part of the i hated virtual shows when quarantine first started i was like an open shit talker on virtual shows and it's so funny that now you know i'm involved with so many a month because in the beginning i was like this is not stand-up comedy uh, you know i was like yeah, a yeah. traditionalist with it i was like this is you know bs but i think what what people should embrace is that virtual comedy and stand-up comedy are not the same genre like they're two different no. genres of performing but yeah you can still be good at both you know there's there's people right. who they're like i only do stand-up like i want to do stand-up in person i don't even want to touch the virtual shows i'm not doing that but for me it's actually been working out a different muscle because it's not stand-up comedy you can't feed off the energy of the audience you know you have to deal with the hecklers or the the random dog barking or the couple getting in a fight or something you know like you have to deal with all that in a virtual show where you may not have to deal with that in a stand-up show but i think the clubs are scared they're very sacred like their clubs are sacred and they don't want any they have this weird idea that if they start putting any of their content online that you know people will stop showing up to the club which i think to your point is false you know i think it'll actually increase the popularity yeah and i okay sorry. no i was gonna say um i i, I agree I, I don't think that I think people have to understand that you you still have to draw attention to that that medium in some way, shape or form. So, like you said, whether it be, you know, the, doing a virtual show, streaming it or, you know, just finding some way to still drive it towards stand up, because, you know, I, I still am a traditionalist. I still am one of those people that's like, I like the show I did last night. Honestly, it was I always end up having more fun in the show. Like, but before the show, I'm always the curmudgeon. That's like, what the fuck is this, man? I fucking hate these motherfucking shows, you know? But I always, when I'm, when I'm in the, and when I'm feeling it and I see I'm getting laughs and, and you are exercising that muscle. And for me, it's helped just try out new material. So like, and, and now here's what I've learned. And I actually, I, I said this last night after I did the thing, um, cause some people will hold a mic knowing that the mic is not plugged in and they still, but they need it to make them feel like they're still doing a stand-up set. I can't do that because then it just makes me feel weird. Like the only time that makes sense to me is if I'm on a set, like an actual set and the mic isn't plugged in, but you just have to hold the mic for looks and, you know, for pickups. And then we're just trying to get the, you know how it is in the end when you're trying to, I just got to get this, this shot. So I don't hold a mic. And his was crazy. It's like, I have, I have mics here. Like I had, like I could, I could theoretically be like, Hey, and how you guys doing out there in Poughkeepsie? You know what I'm saying? Like I could do that. But that doesn't feel right to me, and it feels like it's just kind of, you know, is is so what I what I do and how I've been able to tolerate the shows is I just talk because I'm at home. I'm at home, you know what I'm saying? Let's let's have a conversation, and and I find that that is way easier. One to to get to let's let's it takes down the idea of pretending that we're not doing it the way that we're doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like when I first started doing them, it was like. Is there a dude seriously on his fucking couch sleep? Am I getting hit by a motherfucker sleeping? Are you serious? I think, but I think I think I think to both of you guys' point though, I think it's we should be looked at a couple different ways. Number one, if we're going to continue to do Zoom shows, like that are just Zoom shows, like what you guys are talking about, there's no audience, there's no microphone, then I think that's a different medium. It's almost like slam poetry. Like you should be. It's like you're ranting. 
And I honestly feel like you should just mute the fucking audience and, or, or whatever, or, but, but just talk. You, like the only show I've done this entire time, because uh, I'm just not into it, is I had to do a fundraiser show and they're like, do comedy. I'm like, God, there's like, there was like a hundred people there and it was, you know, they're raising money, but they didn't want me to do stand up, but they wanted me to be funny. And I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? And they're like, but they also want me to talk about the issues that we were talking about in the fundraiser. So I did, I put in some of my actual jokes, but worded them a little bit differently. So they sounded like I was just talking. So mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, climate change, we got to do something about climate change. And then I went into a bit, but it sounded like I was talking and everyone loved what I did. And then I would stop and go into like, just talk about whatever, like rant a little bit about what's going on. This is why we need to raise money for this cause, blah, 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 blah. And then I'd transition that into a joke that didn't sound like a joke, but it was enough to make people laugh. Um, and I think, I think that is a, a whole new avenue and, 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 and uh, thing that, that, we, that could be done that, that might be popular. But I think as far as comedy clubs go, uh, I, would, I would not even, you know, I would have the mic, I would put it through the board, and it would just be like you're watching it live on TV at home. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't make it an interactive thing. I wouldn't let the audience, you wouldn't want to hear them. I wouldn't want to see them. And I'd want to perform in front of a live audience. And I think where, where, com- where comedy clubs missed the boat on this is that they could have been doing these type shows and they could have still put somebody on stage with a microphone with no audience. Okay. I don't want to hear, see the screen. I mean, you could have put, again, put a couple of people in the, in the audience. So you have some eye contact and a couple of people yeah, laughing. You definitely need people. But just stream the fucking thing live. Yeah. Like th- th- to where you build an audience to where it's like, you know, cause I mean, there are people in, in Kansas city or, or people in some fucking small town in the middle of nowhere that, have no access to, you know, we, we take it for granted that, that if you want to see whoever your favorite comic is, if it's, you know, it's Ty Barnett, it's Laurie Kilmartin, it's, it's uh, Theo Vaughn, it's whoever the fuck it is. You, you could swing a dead cat and hit him at a comedy club any day yeah. of the week. Like you, you know, you could go to the improv and, Oh, Hey, there's Maria Bamford and then drive over to the, to the comedy store and, and there, Oh, there's Brian Callen and Theo Vaughn and then go down to the laugh factory. And Oh, there's, you know, a, uh, Tiffany Haddish or whatever, like they're everywhere here. So it's like they could stream those shows. No, I was talking to my friend Andrew Norelli about it. And he was saying his his thing is he doesn't think comics would do it um, for one reason is that they wouldn't want that content online. Like he's like, if you're Dave Chappelle and you're working on a new hour, they wouldn't want their whole hour set if they're headlining a comedy club online for for basically free. Right, so someone can pirate it. But my, my response to that is if I'm doing seven shows at a comedy club, right? I'm in Tucson and I'm doing Wednesday through Sunday and I got seven shows or eight shows or whatever it is. And I know that the Friday eight o'clock show is streamed live all over the, and they've got a thousand people that watch it. Um, I, and I'm afraid that someone might pirate it or video, videotape their screen. I would just not do material i'm working on for a special during that yeah. i would just i would just do old material during that during that time. well I, and this is why i asked i asked paul this uh before we went live this is why i asked him i did one, one of the virtual shows uh 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 christina and uh in uh and jen's show jill and off i did their show and i was riffing on some stuff and came up with two bits two new bits and i'm like all right I, let me take that let me see if I could form it. So by the time things do open back up, now I can actually take this to the stage. I don't, I, here's, here's what, and this is why I was asking like, you know, um, Paul, because Paul is like, how long have you been doing stand up, Paul? Paul? Uh, like five and a half years. So 
and, and it's, 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 it's crazy because Ian and I have been doing it for a longer time, but we came in during the time where you had to have uh, like these VHS tapes. That's how I know, right? We just both got extra gray hair just now as soon as I said that. But so you had to have these VHS tapes. They had to go mail them in. So you go to the fucking post office with a fucking gang of VHS tapes. You send it to the club booker. You hope that the club booker would look at the tape and book you off of that. And it was this whole process. And you had to go with what they paid you, whatever, whatever. And then... When uh, the internet exploded the way it did and you guys were able to just market it to where you're like, you guys cut out the booker, you cut out the agent, you cut out all of this other stuff. And you're like, hey, I'll just find the venue myself, promote the fuck out of it, and I'll do the show. So in that sense, I think for you guys, y'all came in at a time where technology was really on you guys' side, where, you know, it took me a minute to even get used to this type of shit, you know. So for you guys, I think, it behooves you all to just ramp that part up. Whereas people right. like me and Ian, I think we have to play catch up to say, okay, we're still traditionalists. But- we're still traditionalists, but we're like, how do we market this in a way to where uh, it still bodes well for stand up? Cause I, I'm not going to lie. I still miss the stage. I, and, right. and I feel like a little bit of me is sucked out of every, every show. Which is why I try to in every show I try to make sure I get something out of it. Whether it be one, even if I do a ten minute set and I get one fucking joke out of it, I'm cool with it. But but the thing is, oh, sorry, Paul. I'm just really quick. You have to be. We have to be careful of which which we've seen this already in the entertainment industry um, for the last ten years. Is that they they don't want you. Now they, the other people, the marketers, the producers, the agents, the managers, they don't do anything. They want you to bring, like, like you can be like, here's a really great written TV show. And they'll be like, cool. Do you have a million followers on Instagram that like to look at your tits? And you're like, what? what? Well, that's how you get it. That's how you become a writer on a TV show now is yeah. you have bikini pictures. What, what? I don't understand that. What the correlation is. What's, that, fan, what's that? Fans only? Is that a fan? Uh, yeah, only? exactly. <laughs> they, want, they want you to bring, do all the work and bring the audience to you. So, but what they keep missing the boat, and we've talked about this a few times where they keep missing the boat is they think that translates. And if anybody out there is in that position, please listen. Old people who've been running it forever used to do like Hollywood and, and clubs and whatever used to do it a certain way. You promote, you book, you get the audience, and then you find people to create good content right. and you hire them. And then you put that good content out there. You market it, you pay to promote it. And then if people like it, it takes off. Then the young people are like, nowadays are like, no, we do everything on here and I build my own audience and I do this and this and this. So they go, and everything's online and you've got to have a, you know, you're watching CSI and it's like, if you like CSI, text hashtag CSI. Nobody's fucking doing that. But they think, how do we get involved in these new young millennials and whatever? So they go, we need to do this. And you got these two groups of people that are doing things completely opposite. And neither one is actually doing the thing. Because the fact is that if I've got 10 million Twitter followers and they like that I make funny little quips on Twitter, that doesn't mean that those people are going to get off Twitter and watch me Thursday night at eight o'clock on NBC. The people who watch Thursday night at NBC aren't on fucking Twitter. They're on TV watching that. And it's a different venue. And, the, and what's going to happen is they're going to be like, well, how many Zoom followers do you have? 
how many people watch your live shows? Because that's going to determine whether or not I book you at the club. And it's like, no, no, no. The people who watch me on Zoom sit at home and watch Zoom. They're not going to come to the fucking club. The club goers aren't at home watching Zoom. It's a different venue. And it's like, that's what's going to happen. Watch, mark my words that these people, these club owners and stuff are going to be like, well, when you do a Zoom show, do you get 10,000 people? No, well, then I can't book you. But it's like, it's a different medium. Quit pretending that the, the people who watch Zoom shows and people who, who look at Instagram go watch TV or go out to clubs. It's different people that do different. Even YouTube. YouTube is a completely different medium than Facebook. There are people on Facebook that never go to fucking YouTube. There are people that, that live on YouTube that don't watch live TV ever. Hey, Paul, let me ask you. So how, how have you been able to... Um, take the the pandemic and all that stuff. First of all, when did the light switch go off for you to say, you know what, this might be, because I also think part of the reason why people, uh, the clubs missed the boat on this is because we didn't think it was going to last this long. Uh, we didn't think we would still have to deal with this. So at what point was it for you? Did you go from a, I'm anti zoom to I'm going to create a market for myself with this yeah well i've always been the so like you guys said i'm a younger comic so my generation is more the diy generation of like you have to make what you got for yourself so i mean i was up to the point where right before the pandemic every month i had 11 book dates that were guaranteed because of shows and stuff that i was putting on you know i was getting good money to host a weekly open i was getting paid like 150 bucks a week to run an open mic you know, I was getting paid, you know, when I had my, my Lincoln house in Covina show, those last three shows, four shows were standing room only. That's like a, almost a hundred people in just a random city on a random night. So we were really, you know, running on all cylinders. And then all of a sudden we had you know, everything credit. stopped the studio as well, by the way, the studio as well was like, right. dude, we were making, we were making some, some, some decent change from the studio. So everything stopped and you know, people started posting about um, Zoom shows and stuff. And I was like, I'm not interested in any of that. And then I was like, well, you know, where's the where's the money going to come from? And you guys were the first podcast that I recorded on Zoom. I think you guys were like my guinea pigs of like, well, let's try it. Let's see how yeah. we do it. And, you know, if it works out, it works out. And because of your guys' show, it motivated me to create the whole network virtually, which hey. I mean, it's it's paid off more because now we don't have to pay rent so, so yeah. this whole virtual thing has actually been a lot better for for that but when, when it comes to the comedy shows you know it's it was one of those things where i was anti it until i got the opportunity to to drop in and check one out and just like clubs and regular comedy shows not all virtual shows are the same you know you have the ones that have the weird hecklers and like the people i mean there's horror stories of like people putting dick pics in the chat and like uh, i had a show once uh with mike miratori where we had we got zoom bombed because one of the comics posted the link publicly so we got zoom bombed and you know people were putting swastikas and typing the n-word and nice. writing it on the screen so it's like those shows exist but i've been blessed to to you know, work for KO Comedy, which is Sammy Obeid's comedy production company, <laughs> and to really see how to run a professional Zoom show. So it's like when you come to our show, you're not going to get the random hecklers. I mean, you have a, a bouncer in the chat. You have a tech. You have, you know, slides with comics Venmos. You have just every little 
professional touch that we can make music in between comics like just those little touches are it, it's so crazy um and i think that's what sets it apart so where people can be kind of like anti-zoom show and they're like well i don't think it's going to really take off i say to them check out like a ko comedy show check out like a nowhere comedy show check out the ones that are doing it right because there's people who are just putting it together and just kind of like half-assing it right and there's also people who are actually looking at this like a business. We had, uh, by the way, one of the best sets that, that I've seen on a virtual show is Judah Friedlander did our show. Yeah, um, I mean, we had 250 people in the Zoom. Judah was talking to everybody in the Zoom, just doing crowd work, like amazing crowd work. And because we had the bouncers to moderate the chat, if somebody got a little too chatty and felt like this was their time to go one on one with Judah, you know, we just hit the mute button and they wouldn't have the ability to unmute themselves. By the way, you know what would be? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Tyler. I was, I, was I was just gonna say real quick the the idea of having a bouncer. Uh, once all this is over with, uh, the whoever the bouncers have been for these shows is gonna they're gonna have to be very specific when they apply for an actual bouncer job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want a person like, yeah, I've been a bouncer at the comedy club for about a year, and they show up to the job, and this is like this dude that weighs 120 pounds and shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're trying to throw somebody out. He's like, I'm muting you. I'm muting you. Guys like, I was muting him. I'm trying to. <laughs> you have to leave, sir. You have to leave. Yeah. Yes, exactly. a... But uh, you know what? You know what wouldn't be maybe, I mean, this is, I don't know the technology on this, but it can't be that hard. You know, I was just talking about a second ago about how do you cross that? Um, you know, I think that, I do think it's a good idea that when, let's say we go back, everything goes back to normal and we do that one show a week where you, you know, uh, where you broadcast. And I know, he, um, you know, Andrew was also saying like, oh, oh the, the clubs aren't going to want to put a show out there for free because then no one will come. And I'm like, first off, that's bullshit. People want to go out to live shows. If you have one, if, if you're five shows a week, you got one of them that's Zoomed live. First off, it's a chance for people who don't live in the city to come watch your show and they're, get, and they're still going to have to pay. But also it gives the opportunity for someone who did miss it to get it where you would normally miss out on them because they're like, oh shit, I'm not gonna be able to go on Friday. I got my kids, so I can't go to the comedy club. Well, at least I can pay 10 bucks and watch it at home. Um, so there is that, but the, the fact is that I don't, think that I don't think that the majority of people are gonna go, why should I ever go to a comedy club at home when I can sit on my computer and, and watch these people? I don't think that's ever gonna, by giving away one show on the internet is gonna stop your, your, your people from coming in. But my other thought was, just thinking about what you just said, this might be a cool idea that if when you do these Zoom shows now, you can interact with people like you're saying with Judah, like you could you could, you know, he can talk with the com with the people. People can talk back. You can't do that if you're streaming a live stage show where there's an audience there because they're the comics not going to see the people. You're not going to want them to see the people. You're not going to want to hear the people. But you could have a moderator on a separate room somewhere. So let's say Ty's on stage at the improv and he's doing his his set. Right. And it's streaming live to So there's an audience of 300 people at the improv and it's also streaming live. And there's another 200 people watching it from all over the country. What if you did like, remember in the nineties the VH1 had that pop-up video. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where people were like music videos to play and people would, and like the writers would be like, this guy looks like he just got off a 10 day drug. Right. And then, Oh, and there would, people would pop up and comment. You could have a moderator who it's their show. So, uh, Paul, you host the Friday Improv Zoom show and you're in you're on like this and we're watching Ty perform and people can comment and say stuff like an interactive show that Ty doesn't know about. It's a separate thing 
where you're moderating it and people are like, oh, this guy's really great, blah, 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 blah. Like you could have a whole separate thing that would be fun. People commenting on it, people talking that doesn't affect high performance on stage, but allows people to be interactive. I don't know how to do that, but I think that could be something that'd be really cool. Yeah. One of the shows that I saw that I was super impressed with is kind of something similar to that, where the comics on stage in a physical stage, all the comics have to go to a physical location and in front of them is a wall of everybody's zoom windows. So you're, you're looking at a wall and you instantly see everybody at the same time, like a gallery mode, but it's just so many different people. Uh, I'm not sure if they're unmuted or not. Um, To me, if you can, find a way to unmute it the right way and trust me we've had even ko comedy which like i said is probably the most professional you know online comedy show there is right now even we've had instances where you know if somebody yells randomly we don't have the foresight to be able to mute them before that happens so it happens but you know seeing everything but i think with the problem they ran into i think was the upkeep of it because they were getting some some bigger comics but you know you have to have so many texts and so many to work so many different screens and right. all this stuff. I think it's, it's very cumbersome. Now we are working on a concept because we're, we're looking forward to that little hybrid thing, but I can't talk about it because no, we don't want to put our idea out there before it's finalized. Uh, I hate the tease, but if you no, follow that killing a comedy co on Instagram, then you'll see when we make that announcement. Uh, but we're planning on doing something like that, where we want to get all the comics in one location. You know, we want, because that's, that was, yeah, what, yeah. what made comedy so fun for the comics you know yeah and and i'm sorry were you okay oh, oh, no. no you're good um, you're good um but this is but this is why i say for a, a lot of people because it, it really kind of forced a lot of people to adjust all at the same time and i think a lot of it really does come from the fact that no one expected us to still be dealing with this. I think everybody kind of thought, oh, it'll be a couple months and it is what it is. And, you know, now to see that you do have to adjust this way, uh, I think it's harder for the people like me. Uh, well, I mean, not not just for me, but people who have been doing it longer. You know, you, you got vets that have been doing it like 30, 40 fucking years. Who, who I just saw this story where Christopher Walken, uh, by the way, thank you for the comments from everybody, by the way. And Happy New Year again, yeah. everybody. Um, hey, Robert. Christopher Walken said that he doesn't own a phone. He's never tweeted. He's never texted. He's never done any of that. And Wait, so hold on, Ty. That's impossible because he's a good, he's a good actor. <laughs> and I know from my agent said that you can't get a good acting role and you can't be a good actor. That's right. Unless you've got enough followers. So I, right. <laughs> there's no way that's possible. How could we exactly. have without, without followers? It makes no sense. But that's, but that's why like, you know, it's hard. It was a, and we we've had this discussion before. Where it's it's hard for someone when you've spent your life building it up the old fashioned way, the traditional way, built a following. You know, your following comes from the people who. I mean, shit. What what people are doing now with this is it used to be like, hey, I'll be at your club. Here's my email. My here's your email. My email list. That's what we did then. And now it is a lot easier, but the the hard part is, you know, to Ian's point, is how much of the talent is still being seen, how much of the talent is still being rewarded, and how much is it on the talent to find that avenue now to say, okay, well then this is just what I have to adjust to right. to get people to 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 see that I'm still funny, you know, like like they're like last night, last night's show was a bunch of retirees, so it was like AARP type cats, so 
there was a part of me that was like, shit, I'm the youngest <laughs> motherfucker in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah. really quick, I, since I haven't done them, are there are there bringer Zoom shows? They're like, yes. you got to. Yeah, hundred no. percent. Yeah, hundred percent. You have to. You know there are. He thought, he thought you were gonna say no, Paul. Yeah, no, it's that's I, There's people out there that are. I mean, anytime people can be vampires in comedy and suck yeah. followers because people get scared, you know. And and it's understandable. It is a lot harder. It shockingly, it's a lot harder to draw people to a Zoom comedy show than a live comedy show because I was capping out you know every week you know 80 people at this room 50 people at this room man on some of my comedy shows my zoom shows like i'm lucky to get 40 people i'm lucky to get 50 people and and that's part of the puzzle you know this thing is so new that you have to figure out like i have access to some of my lineups that i put i mean i have people who headline in la i have people in who headline in new york you know like it's bi-coastal lineups you you have people all over the country i'm like we have access to the entire united states i mean last night for the new year's show after the show i'm hanging out with people who are in kansas and wyoming and like all these random places that i was like i didn't even know you had wi-fi you know so it was was great it was great to, to be interconnected but it's that's the main puzzle that we're trying to figure out is we literally have access to the world how can we then translate that into people coming over and to your point like when you were talking about like it's harder for like ogs and stuff to to do i mean we've already seen that you know that's not a new concept because we see it with instagram you know like one of the the shows i've produced so many podcasts in my life and one of the shows that i mean i was kind of shocked to be brought on board and then made a producer on it was uh daryl hammond saves the world you know so i was working with daryl hammond which is just a trip you know it blew my mind i'm like how this legend you know but if you look at daryl's instagram you know he has less than six thousand followers so here's this comedy legends who you're just like yeah. oh my god like it's daryl hammond you see him good point i, I mean the people that showed up at the because we would do it in the improv lab you know right and we had i mean there were nights where we had anthony kiedis in the front row and just like all these powerhouse people there were also nights where we only had 20 people in the audience right i'm like this is daryl hammond and we have you know 20 15 people in the audience to watch this podcast like it it doesn't really matter as much the name recognition i mean yes you need name recognition on your your comedy show but as much as i am a comic i've been forced to become uh, a marketer that that same level a producer that that same level that's the thing that that i keep trying to tell these people in the in the industry that that I don't know why it's so hard to understand because almost everyone I talk to, like, uh, we agree. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's true. Yet every time I go to pitch a, pitch a show, uh, get a new, new representation, uh, work with somebody else, it always comes down to how many followers, how, what, what's your presence, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I tell them, like, I've, Ty and I do, I've, I on my own have produced most of my own shows for the last eight, nine years. Um, like, on the road, like places I've never been. Like, I'll go to fucking... Uh, you know, uh, Kentucky and I'll rent a fucking theater. And, you know, that's risky because I might sell 10 tickets. I might sell 200 tickets. And, and it's the difference between losing $3,000 and making $15,000 or something. Like it could literally be that much based on 200 ticket sales. And I got to fly there. I got to market it. And I'm telling you, um, you know, uh, I've got a I've got a niche following, you know, within my whole atheist stuff. Like I've got a pretty strong following, um, and they're pretty loyal. 
but you know, as far as TV credits, Ty Ty's got a, a billion more TV credits than me. And and I remember comedy clubs would always say that, like, what are your credits? And I'm like, why does it matter? Because you're gonna put whatever you want. I show up and you put HBO on the fucking flyer anyway, and I've never been on HBO. And the fact is that people don't look at those. People really don't look at those and go, like they either know who Ty Barnett is or they don't. And if they don't know who Ty Barnett is and they see, oh, last comic standing, they're not going to be like, well, then we better show up. That, that just doesn't happen. And I've done shows in the exact same theater, uh, two weeks apart from somebody who's got, I won't mention his name or her name because it's happened a few times, where they've got 500,000 Twitter followers. And sometimes even a TV show, like a small TV show, but it's you know like one of those like Comedy right. Central that lasted six months and then was canceled. And the people are like, yeah, so-and-so sold 100 tickets last week. You guys have sold 200. And I'm like, not because of my fucking 1,100 Instagram followers. It's, that's not why I sold, sold tickets. Because first off, their 200,000, 500,000 followers don't live in Seattle or, in, or, right. or Colorado. They don't or all live in the same space. Right. And, and then if they do, if they got 1,000 people there, half of them probably don't even go out to shows. The other half probably didn't see the post. I mean, I've, I've bought ads on Facebook and I've bought ads on Instagram and Twitter and I've run them for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I've also done like, we've gone in and done like radio ads, old school radio ads, newspaper ads, everything. And the fact is that the old school shit works still better than the new stuff to get butts in seats. Well, it's just a fact. And, and and that's the thing. Like word of mouth is still the 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 best advertising. And uh, real quick, I want to get a comment in, and then I'll I'll piggyback off what you just said into what you guys were just talking about. Uh, Lamont says, "Happy Happy New Year!" By the way, bro, Happy New Year, Lamont. Uh, he says, uh, "To become a follower takes uh, takes the least amount of effort. It's a finger click." Uh, to get butts and seats is a completely different skill set. Exactly. And, and, and this is what people have to understand. And, and to, to piggyback off what he just said and what you guys are talking about, I think when you see those bookers and those agents and those managers and they say something like, well, yeah, sure, you're funny. Yeah, we get it. You're funny and, and, and you do your job well as a comedian. But how many followers do you have? That comes down to laziness. Yeah. And these, these people, they, they can they can qualify it however many fucking ways they want to qualify it. But it comes down to laziness. Let me tell you the difference between old school management, old school agents and talent scouts, like an actual talent scout versus these, you know, these people that are just sitting in front of the, the, the computer, watch a few minutes and say, yeah. Oh, wait, how many people watching them? Good, because they want to see what's the least amount of work I have to do to get more money, get money off of you, as opposed to the old school person that would be like, okay, Ian, uh, we heard that you're funny. We heard that you do impressions and all that. Paul, we heard that you are, you have jokes as well. You're funny, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to set up a showcase. Remember those? Anybody? Anybody remember those? We're going to set up a showcase at the improv. I'm going to have X, Y, and Z talent people to come out and watch you. Hey, before you get on that stage, you need to make sure that you have these jokes down pat. So go to the clubs and work on your material because these people will come there and watch you. That person will come and watch your set and they will give notes and say, hey, we want to sign in. We want to sign Paul. This is what we want to do. Or they say, well, I think they need to tweak this and they need to work on this, but I see potential in this. And then they will go from there. They actually took the time to build your career. 
And it would take some time. It depends. It really depends on how much you believe in that person. This is why I would always tell new talent. I say, get somebody on your team that believes in you. Not, not just what you do, not just what Paul does, not just what Ian does, but they believe in Paul specifically and they believe in Ian specifically because right. that's going to be the difference between saying, I see where I can take Paul in his career. I right. see where I can nurture you. I see how I can help build this way. Same thing for Ian. You don't have those people now. Those people don't really exist. Those people are just like, hey, look, all right, so how many people following you? That's okay, cool. <laughs> All I got to do is get these people and then I can get this much money. And until that changes, it's going to still come back to that dynamic. It is. There have been shows that I've done where people come up like, and this is this happened even before the COVID and, and this happened to both of us. We'd walk into a room and we do a guest set and we, and we both would have a great set and we both would be feeling like, we're on fucking cloud nine. This is it. This is dope. You know, we still got that feeling. And then you'll see the person that bombed have a fucking huge entourage of people around them just coddling them. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait, hold up. Now that, now, that doesn't mean that you can't say I'm trying to build this person. But wait a minute. You don't even want to look at the person who just got a standing <laughs> ovation? I, 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 I literally got a standing ovation on a, on a, um, on a contest. Uh, this is almost 20 years ago, Comedy Central contest. And uh, I got a standing ovation and um, I didn't even place top three. I was the only one that got a standing ovation. <laughs> and even the winner was like, how the fuck didn't you win tonight? Like it, it was like the semifinals of this competition. And I was like, well, I, I know the reason why, because I had pissed off one of the judges, which is sad that that should be the case. But um, but but here's here's the thing, too, is that is that I think it would be it would be kind of funny. It would be I think it, it would this is the kind of shit I like to do, but, but it would be great to just, when you have a showcase, Oh, there's going to be all these people here. Like Ty said, set up a showcase and then just get on stage and go, okay, everybody pull out their phones. Here's my Instagram. Go, let's see how many likes I can get. Go, go. You don't tell any jokes. Just go, Hey everybody. I just got 200 new followers. Do, do I get a development deal or <laughs> just, we go on, you go on AGT. Like what's your skill? Oh, my skill is to get followers. So everybody who's watching at home, um, I don't do anything. I don't juggle. I don't sing. I don't dance. I don't do comedy. I just want you all to follow me because that's what's most important. It's not about talent. It's America's Got Followers. It should be called Agent. I know. That's the story there. America's Got Followers. Let, hey, Paul, let me ask you something real quick. Of all, uh, and you don't have to give specific names. I understand you still want I always to love to. I always love to give specific <laughs> <laughs> In that case, spill it all. Um, how many people do you see where their amount of followers don't necessarily match their talent? Oh, all the time. All the time. It's not even. It's inverse. It's not, yeah. What, one of the show, I did a show one time and we had 50 something audience members and probably the collective, if you added all the comics followers together was well over 4 million, you know, like we had, we had a lot of people with, with just over a million followers on Instagram and, you know, they didn't even really do a set. It's, it's, the, you can get sucked into that, right? Especially because a lot of comics that have those, you know, 
you don't get a million followers by doing stand up, you know, unless you're, you know, Kreischer or Segura or whoever, you don't get a million followers from doing stand up. You get a million followers from doing some kind of online entertainment. So like some kind of TikTok or, or Instagram video or, you know, uh, some kind of viral video. Viral videos are what get you followers. Right. And those people that watch those viral videos, they don't come to virtual comedy shows. You know, they rarely come to actual comedy shows. So, it's, I mean, the you look at everybody that has these massive followings and you're just like, you know, it's crazy, but you know what, what you guys are talking about is like a major point of, you know, if you don't have the followers, you're not going to get in with certain industry people. But I think that this is my prediction for the industry. I think the more that that becomes the norm and the more that they make decisions based on popularity, I think the weaker the industry gets and the more power comes to independent producers and independent content creators where you're going to see a lot more people developing their own, you know, shows and developing their own movies. And you're getting to a point where, and I think Rogan was kind of the, the primary example and the motivator for a lot of people where Rogan built this empire, right? from his couch from a podcast now you have a lot of delusional but, but, but people that's the thing is now they expect they expect us to do that exactly that's they're, true they're, they're like they're like well i don't know what talent looks like so when you get 20 million subscribers call us back then we'll know you're talented that's the problem is that they think everyone can just go create can go become joe rogan and they don't they don't look for talent anymore they used to have to look for talent and go this person's great at what they do now they go i don't want to take a chance on anybody so who's got the most people following them that must be the most talented like i feel like even if they don't say that out loud they're like well joe rogan did it why can't you do it and then call us back when you do it so we don't have to do any work yeah Yeah. i mean i see that and i i mean i just i don't think you know the average person they said that there's finally a million podcasts out there (laughs) like they they've passed the plateau of a million podcasts but the way the way that so as a podcast producer the way that i you know talk about podcasting and what it the value is because a lot of people always what's the first question when people start a podcast that that they ask how do i make money off ads that's the first question i get hey i'm gonna start this podcast how do i make money off ads they haven't even recorded one episode but they want to make money off ads i say listen if you're focused on ads, you're going to have a really bad time with podcasting. It takes, you know, unless you're getting 10,000 downloads a, an episode, that's kind of the bare minimum to start breaking, you know, to start going in the black with your podcast. Um, but use it as a marketing tool. Your podcast is the ultimate way. Right now, comedy has shifted, right? Like if you look at like Carlin and Pryor and all these guys, these legendary guys, Lenny Bruce and all, there was that air of mystery behind them, right? Like you saw them on stage and you didn't really know their personal life, like some tabloids and stuff or whatever, but you really didn't know their personal life where now the the comedy fan now, not only do they want to hear Burt Kreischer do his hour, but they want to hear about his daughters. They want to hear about him at home. They want to hear about what he ate for breakfast, how big his poop was, you know, like that's the level right. that fans want. So if you can supplement, use your well, podcast I as a supplement. podcast then. We, we should do a different pod. We should do a poop podcast too, by the way. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, you know, but also right. notice this, like, and, and I'm not saying this from bitter, bitter comedian perspective. I swear to you, I'm not. I'm saying this from person who talks to non-comedians all the time. I said this two, three years ago. Uh, Cause you know, you know, I've, I've directed like five or six comedy specials. I've done a couple of myself. I've independently produced stuff, sold them. And watching the way Netflix operates where there was a period where they were doing one a week and then, then it became like now, nowadays, uh, Showtime is the same way where it's like has nothing to do with comedy. I've seen, 
I've seen, and I'm not again, I'm not going to name names, but I can, I could right off the top of my head give you five people who have Netflix or Showtime or HBO comedy specials that are not comedians, that are are Instagram people uh, who are like who literally stand on stage for an hour and talk about their Instagram posts. And I'm not even making that up. That's a real fucking thing that happened. Or there's somebody who like, what do you do? Oh, this person does goofy characters and sings awkwardly. Uh, I mean, they gave no offense to her. She's fine. But they gave that, they gave that the girl who lip syncs to Trump. They gave her an hour comedy special. I don't know what it's going to be like. I haven't seen it. And I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not stand-up comedy. She's not a stand-up comedian. And and you lip sync to somebody else. Like you can't sustain that for an hour. You can't do that live. So I don't know how that's going to work. But the point is that I hear over and over and over from people going, God, Netflix comedy just has gone off the fucking cliff. It sucks. They're like, aside from the Dave Chappelle's and the couple people that the big names they put out there, like, they're like the ones that they're promoting. They're like, they've, they've, why does so-and-so have four specials in one year? Like George Carlin and Richard Pryor didn't write four hours of solid material in a year. Why does this guy who we've never heard of have four specials? And why does this YouTuber have a fucking hour special that sucks? And and you hear it from, from fans here. And this is why, and, and I don't know. I mean, and this is why I was asking Paul earlier about like, you know, the, his time in comedy and what he sees now versus like you know your eye for talent because sometimes it's weird sometimes like if if you grew up only on fast food and you've never had a really good steak all you know is fast food that's all you know you don't know what it's like to have an actually well-prepared meal so and and vice versa if you've only had filet mignon you taste a mcdonald's burger you're like what the fuck is this bullshit so when it comes to talent when it comes to stand-up when it comes to something that literally takes time and effort to be good at and this is what people keep on and it's not to say it's not about being bitter it is really just about uh preserving and sustaining and respecting the art form the art form that you love say it again the art form that you love exactly exactly i I take pride in exactly so so because it when the reason why i told you guys that story about what you had to do to get booked into a club is because you took pride in working yourself up so much and working on your craft so much to where when you got that call from that club booker, you were like, fuck, yes, all the fucking work that I did has paid off. I'm finally going to get underpaid professionally now. <laughs> so now, now it's this thing of when you see these younger cats, when you see these people getting these specials, and and like you, like Ian said, it does. People will say, "Oh, well, you just mad because you don't have one." No, no, no. It's not about being mad that I don't have one. It's about being wondering why I don't have the same opportunity that that person has, and they're not doing their job well. That's where the issue is because I I, I tell people even if I don't like you, if you're funny. I have to acknowledge that you're funny. That's just how I am. Like, I know people that I personally don't like, but what they do on stage is funny. So when I see people getting these opportunities, same thing with what Ian says, and when you see these people getting these opportunities, you're like, well, wait a minute. What are you going off of now? Well, what's your criteria now? And I know for you, Paul, I know what you guys is crazy. Like you just said, you said in order for people to start getting money, well, you say you need what ten thousand? You know, you need to start to be around ten thousand range, right? Yeah. So $10, exactly. So you have a, and, and that actually makes sense 
in the in in the the data and marketing perspective because say okay you got this many people watching you now advertisers want to see you now we can start paying you but if a person comes in and says like you said they come in and say hey man we want to start a podcast where do you cut the check like well shit you know, you know what I'm saying? So when, when Netflix is giving these specials out to people and you watch them, like, and I'm not going to say, I, I, I'll tell you like this, and because and, I don't want to be long with the story. Let's just say this. Uh, the booker for a late night talk show, which I have, I have not done that show, but I've done other late night shows. And I know the criteria for the late night shows. I know I followed all of it. That's why I have those appearances. Uh, one night we were just sitting here watching TV and there was a comedian on. And uh, as opposed to not just having my opinion be the one, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to have I'm going to have my wife watch. So I, I said, hey, babe, can you watch this person perform? We watched the person perform. The audience barely laughed. And when I say barely laughed, I had to turn the volume up, barely laughed. Uh and it was long, awkward pauses, no laughs, no nothing. And at the end of the performance, my wife was like, why did you make me watch that? And so I said, hey, I just wanted to get in. I, may, I don't want it to be just me. So anyway, fast forward to uh, about a two months, about a month or so later, we're at Flappers. The booker for that show, uh, first of all, was giving me mad shit. Like, like, just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, we only book the best of the best. That's all we have on the show. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, and I'm still on the humble. I'm just like, hey, you know what? I appreciate the opportunity for even you watching me showcase because I used to do this. This chick couldn't have been. I know she's younger than me. I know it for a fact. And I know you have even less comedy experience than me. But I'm like, you know what? You are in a position of power and I'm going to play the game. This is just what we got to do. But that wasn't the part that pissed me off. The part that pissed me off is when she says, yeah, we only put the best of the best on the show. So, you know, whatever you do up there, make sure that you put your best material up there because we just had somebody on uh, a couple weeks ago that murdered. And I was like, uh, and to myself, I'm like, are you talking about the chick that barely got any lashes? Like, yeah, she killed it. And I'm like, what is your fucking criteria for killing it now? And that's why I asked you, Paul, like how many people do you see that whose talent matches their followers, or is it like, nah, you just got a lot of followers? Can can I say something that uh, uh well, I don't, I don't know if I want to put. We we talked about this off air like a while, but a long time ago, right? Where there's no more development shows, like in terms of, there's no more evening at the improv. There's no more, oh. uh, there's no more Carson. You know, there's no more where you can be a young, unknown person and get blown up from something or not even blown up, but have the confidence in your career after like a late night appearance that maybe you were too green for, but you were given that opportunity and you either crushed or, you know, you had to go back to the drawing board. There's no more like when I book my shows. I, and not to say that I have any type of influence in the comedy community, but when I book my shows, I'll book, you know, a nationally touring headliner. Or I basically try to book the biggest names that I can to headline my shows. And then I'll throw in the young cats, you know, I'll, I'll throw in, I'll do something, a five minute guest set for somebody that I just know from the open mic circuit. And I'm like, Hey, you come up and now they're performing on a legit show. They get that confident. It's a nice little confidence boost that, Oh, I got to perform with, you know, Kurt Metzger or whoever. But what I want to bring up is, uh, you did AGT, right? You did AGT. 
and I'm not going to say who it was, but there was a comic on AGT your season that I was like, this dude needs the exposure. Like, this is what is because AGT. I know what you're talking about. I know exactly who you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. But it's like, for me, America's Got Talent is for people to get that break and shoot off bigger than they've done before in their career. Whereas, you know, if you're a comic that's already had multiple development deal, multiple show, multiple shows, multiple appearances. I, I knew this guy from TV before I knew this guy from stand up. you know, that, that, that type of level of person, you know, you know who he's talking about Ian? No. So, uh, I, I mean, well, I'll tell you after, you know, you know, who he you know, if I told you the name, you know, what he's talking about it's screech from saved by the bell. Isn't it okay. <laughs> yeah, might as well no. be, but it's all like- I'll say is, yo, um, so, <laughs> um, Yo, you really have to listen to who he's talking about because, yo, you really should understand what he's saying. Yeah. Go ahead. So, so yeah, the, to me, America's Got Talent is, and I know a booker for America's Got Talent, and the booker that I know is really dope about putting up-and-coming comics mm-hmm. on the show, trying to get up-and-coming comics on the show, where, you know, it's that's what those shows should be. Those shows should be grooming the next generation of legendary comics. You know, right. it shouldn't be giving a comic who's already had you know 87 chances like another chance on a national level like how can you be the darling of a show when you've already had a lot of professional success it it doesn't make sense it's like uh what if dr oz and dr drew entered some kind of like you know up and coming oh up and coming we we want to see the next wave of revolutionary doctors then all (laughs) of a sudden you put like these people who've just been around for years you know, it doesn't. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. No. Where are these shows? You know, bring right, because, back because evening again, at the improv. How hard is again, it to bring back evening at the improv? Right. That's what they. But the, the, again, as soon as they did, they would. They they try to do it with Netflix. Did like Netflix did quarter hours, right? Where they were like, here's here's people that are up and coming, and they're gonna give them a quarter hour. And then that's what remember it used to be. Comedy Central even did. You had Premium Blend, and then they would take. 20 people from premium, premium, premium blend and give them a presents, which was a half an hour special, mm-hmm. really 22 minutes. And, but, but comedy central never did hours back in the old days, uh, uh, aside from the big ones, the, the priors, the Carlins, whatever HBO hour specials were actually a launching pad. When you did an eight, I mean, you were, you were known on the comedy circuit. You were a headliner, you know, but it was Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, 1985. It wasn't Jerry Seinfeld, 2019. Right. It was, it was HBO is like, here's a guy that's been on the comedy circuit. He's done a and evening at the improv, blah, 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 blah. Let's give them this hour. That's why it was called a special. It was a special performance to, to launch this person's career. And if they liked you, then the other networks, including HBO, would have a development deal in place for you or, or ready to go based on that special. And yeah, you had the, the, the Tonight Show with Carson was the one that made it. They don't, nowadays, if anything, that's Joe Rogan's podcast, but that's still not stand-up. But he showcases people. Unfortunately, they're all the same guy almost. He, he, he's the same type of person. He, if he branched out and brought in different people, it would be huge. But we need something like that that's a step A, a premium blend, a... Um, a uh, 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 evening at the improv that then launches. And then we need one of these networks to bring in talented people and give them half an hour's or hours to launch their career. But the problem is they're going off this still. Whoever gets that quarter hour or that half an hour is still based on followers. I, I'm telling you, I've sat in meetings. I've well, 
specials. And the, and the, and to me, the thing I wanted to say really quick that, that, that drives me fucking nuts is that the internet is run by pervy guys. That's a fact. There's no, go look, do me a favor. Anytime you don't fucking believe me, you can go look at, at, at videos on YouTube. There are, there are videos that are like how to fix your treadmill, how to, how to, how to repair a washing machine. And there are ones that have 20 million views. And the reason is because they're in the fucking, the, the thumbnail is a pair of tits, a girl in a bikini. And it's like, wait, so how to fix my washing machine got 20 million views because the thumbnail is tits. Now I know female comedians who are eh, but they're really good looking and they talk a lot about sex and whatever. And they've got hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers because of their photos. And I'm not disparaging them. That's awesome. But the fact is that that person can't sell more tickets or isn't more talented because the pervy dudes that drive that aren't coming to hear your comedy when you're live at the theater in Salem. They're on Instagram perving out anonymously on your hot, well, scantily clad pictures. And it's like, if we're going to, to, to drive the comedy world based on who has the most followers because they're already famous or they, or they shit in a fucking bag and light it on fire and dumbasses think that's hilarious or they say racist shit or they're putting up pictures of themselves, provocative pictures of themselves. If that's what we're driving the internet or driving who gets stand-up comedy specials, we're in fucking trouble. I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean to be a dick, but come on. No, no, you're right. Uh, so I want to get a, a couple comments in here, and then I wanted to say something to to all of that. And this is how we used to kind of gauge the the how we approach being on stage. So a few comments here, real quick. Um, uh, Tam says, uh, "I only follow funny people. The un uh, and I unfollow the unfunny ones." Very good. Hey, she doesn't uh, follow me. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then uh Lamont says here and I and this is a, so this is a, a two-part comment from him. He says uh, a criteria for being talented should be did you make the folks in the audience laugh that didn't come to see you? Yeah. As in not your fans. That's a great barometer right there, Lamont. Uh and then he says, uh, don't agree that the show should be for up and coming. Uh, it's a giant instant. It's a giant. It's a giant instant boost. Boost that creates a thing where when that up and coming comic goes to the club, they can follow a season local. Then the show needs to be watered down. I so let me address that real quick, and then I because I, I understand where both sides are coming from. I understand why what you said, what you said, Paul, and I understand what Lamont is saying. But I think that falls back on the Booker because if the Booker says. Well, I saw this guy on Paul's up and coming show. So now I'm going to give him the headlining spot. That's on the booker. It's not on Paul for giving him that, that, that spot. It's on the booker. And it really actually falls on the comic. The comic needs to say, well, hold on, man. I'm, I'm not, not ready. ready to headline. I'm not ready to headline. I'm just not. Paul gave me a shot and I'm proud of the shot and I will work hard. If, how about this? Let me feature or like to Lamont's point, let me feature because whoever you put on, uh, whoever comes on before me, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to have to deal with that. So so it's a two part issue, but it, it ultimately comes down to the booker. The, and this is why I said the process, what it used to be before is that and Lamont knows this, Ian knows this, you know, and Anyone that's been doing it for a long, they know the process used to be you weren't even if you were not if you didn't have the time 
plus 15 minutes, you could not have that spot. Right. You couldn't host if you didn't have 30 minutes. You couldn't feature if you didn't have 45 minutes. And you couldn't headline if you didn't have 60 minutes. And that was always, you needed that 15 minute cushion just in case shit wasn't working of the stuff that you thought was going to just kill. So what happens now is when you have these, these bookers that are just like, Hey, you know what? Um, I saw this, 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 this person here and they got these many followers. I'm just going to have this person come and do the show. It should be fine. Um, this, so everyone, anyone watching, anyone listening to the thing, let me explain to you before you even decide to take a gig. This is when everything opens back up. And even to the bookers, this is what goes into an evening. For, for people, you're at home. Let's say you got kids. You got to figure out a babysitter. You got to figure out, you're going out for the evening. You ain't going just to the comedy show. You're going out for a whole evening. You're having drinks, dinner, all that stuff. Before you even get to the comedy club, there's gas involved. There's a whole process. Then you get to the club. Then there's a two drink minimum that you got to pay before you even seen a show. So all of this money has already been spent before you see the person that you're going to pay 20 plus dollars to see anyway. So if you go through all of that shit, you pay the $20, the two drink minimum, the drinks are watered down, the hot wings are cold, the fucking fries are cold, all of that shit. And the show is garbage. That falls back on the whole totality of comedy. So that makes it harder for Paul when he is ready to fucking headline the room to say, no, 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 man, I put in my work. And they said, well, yeah, Paul, but we don't we can't really get the people to come in now because we had that motherfucking Instagram star in and now motherfuckers don't want to come out. So it's this. That's why I said it falls back on the booker. But a lot of in a lot of ways, it falls on the performer. The performer should be like, hey, man, I'm really not I'm not ready for that. But but I'll I'll take what you can give me on that. But I'm not ready to don't do that. But the, the problem with that is, is and, I, and I, not that I, I, I totally agree with you, Ty, but the problem is if the problem is also more, more of that, the money issue, because the fact is that if you were on whatever show, so which, which is why I think what Lamont's saying, I think a big show, an AGT or something like that, something that we know if you win it, you're going to be an instant draw, something like that, then maybe we should reserve those shows for people who've been around the block doing it for a long time that have some credit and have an A&E's evening at the improv for the up and comers. Because even when you're on A&E's evening at the improv or whatever, it wasn't going to pack the seats. But the problem is if you're on AGT and you only got 10 minutes of material and, and you're an up and comer and you win AGT and all this, the, the thing is that you know that now you can get 20 grand for that week because you're going to pack out the room. And even though you know you only got 10 minutes, you're not going to turn that down and go, no, I should only be featuring for 500 bucks. You're going to go, wait, wait, I can sell out this room. So the problem is that how do you, how do you as a club owner and how do you as a comic navigate that? And I think for me, what you could do is say something like, hey, you don't have the time. So we're going to put you in the middle spot, but we're going to also put your name on the bill and maybe give that person money bonuses based on how many people they bring in. Because the fact is, if you're featuring for me, Ty, because you're an up and comer and you just won AGT and you got 20 minutes of material and I'm headlining and I've been doing it forever. But 90% of the people in that fucking auditorium or in that comedy club are there to see you and you're the one bringing in the money that that you're going to be like, fuck this. I'm getting paid. That's why I did this. And also most people think, Hey, I did do the work. Look at me. I'm famous. Everyone's come to see me. So I am good. And I, I can't sit up here and talk for an hour, even though I only got 10 minutes of material. So the fact is, there has to be a way to 
to mitigate that to where it's like we have shows that launch people and maybe the big, big shows, even if it's only five, 10 minutes, maybe those shows are for people who are already kind of launched. And it's like, who do we think is, I mean, maybe not the Jerry Seinfeld, the Richard Pryor levels, but people who are, you know, maybe ready for a Netflix hour special or whatever that they go on. And then it's that, it's that AGT win that gets them the Netflix special or something like that. And I think because you've got, by the way, Tam is a boy, not a, a girl. Uh, Tam wanted me to say no to shit. Paul that, that Tam is a Tam is a boy. Shit. Sorry. Misgendered. Uh, oh, so this is what I wanted to say. Well, first off, you guys know me from uh, Comedy Pop-Up, right? And Comedy Pop-Up gave me my first when when comedy Nick from Comedy Pop-Up, the producer of Comedy Pop-Up, I respect him so much as a producer because he made those tough decisions for the lineup. He made sure that every lineup was stacked. I mean, as an up and coming comic that that really like was I mean, I was super green when I first got with Comedy Pop-Up and I still always asked him for spots. You know, I was like, can I get a spot? Can I get a spot? And he always told me no. Like he had the balls to tell me no. No, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. Eventually, he started letting me hosting some shows. Right. Mm-hmm. And then after that, one day he finally said, Hey, I booked you on your first non-hosting spot. And I was super, super excited. It's a comedy pop-up show. Like it, the name had weight, you know, like it was really cool. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Let's do it. And he put me between, uh, I had to follow Kira Sultanovich and I was before Steve Hofstetter. So it's like, here's your first, here you go. Here you go, bro. Here's your first spot. And it's just between two heavy hitters. And I, this was the confidence booster. I didn't crush. I didn't kill whatever, but I held my own. Yeah. I had my moments. I held my own. And that little moment is kind of what started to carry me of like, oh, you're not a pretender. You could actually do this. Right. If you're following these people who have been crushing in the industry and you're still like, you're just holding your, your ground, you're, you'll get better in years. But what, what I wanted to say is I have a solution for the social media star thing, right? If they have a million followers, whatever, you know, if they're, but if they're still green, I think it's the responsibility of the club is the responsibility of whoever have them host. Have them host. Let yeah. them bring their their followers or whatever. If they nice can. They're comic friends that are on the show. Yeah, but yeah. have have you know two the guy that has two million followers from pranking people at the grocery store. Have him host and have him work out in the beginning. Which hosting is is dope because yeah, you're setting the tone for the show, but also like you get to do a lot more with the crowd. You know, you get to get people amped up. You get to kind of figure things out a little bit more. That's a little bit more leeway. And then you could bring up, uh, you know, Ty. You could bring up Ian. You could bring up like Alonzo Bowden. You can bring up the people that are guaranteed to to keep the show going, keep the show consistently good, and then end it with you know a headliner that's a that's a favorite at the club and that way you're growing not only are you growing the quality of the show because the quality of the show is off the charts but now you're growing a following for the ogs that have never been social media savvy you're introducing people to people who've been around in the industry you know plus also throw in some of the up-and-comers in the development spots right Right. give some development spots but if you I, i don't get why these people like they should have a so-and-so presents where the so-and-so right. is the Instagram star, the social media star. Right. So-and-so presents this and it's just a night of solid comedy. I think that right. that is and, a and win-win their, for everybody. And you could put, they could put it as their influencer. So that person's like, like th- who influences the influencer, right? So it's like, if you're the big social media star, Paul, you could be like, 
and and here's one of my favorite comics. Like if you got you know the the feature yeah. and the headliner or whatever, you could you could be like, this is this is who you looked up to. Here's Dave Attell. Oh, mm-hmm. cool, right? So Dave Attell, and now Dave Attell, like you said, he probably get those followers because he's gonna kill it. He's gonna be you know, and now he's built up more of that online following and yeah and, and it's and it's that person's show it's paul's show he's the guy that brings the people but yeah there's great comics on the show i think the other thing is i was the, to, to your point and what to, to paul to what uh ty was saying earlier too about about coming up when when we were when we were coming up there was always it's always three spots right you got the MC, you got the feature, and you got the headliner. That's how a comedy club works. That's how, I mean, maybe a guest spot, but it's like that's so not a showcase, but that a real comedy club right. works. You had to MC, mm-hmm. like even even when you were kind of known or or good or strong, like every good club made you MC at least one week. And I remember getting paid two hundred dollars a week and having to go to Colorado Springs and and Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington and I had to drive my Honda Civic to fucking Tucson and then Albuquerque yeah. and then Springs and then I have to go down to fucking <laughs> Fort Worth and I have to drive from place to place and make 200 bucks a week, 250 a week and I had to MC and the thing is you get 15 minutes, you got to introduce all the fucking birthdays, you got to you right. got to talk about the drink specials and you got to deal with hecklers right off the bat because the second you start talking about, oh, there's a bachelorette party, all of a sudden you got fucking dildos flying at you and whatever, and you right. got to get everybody. And then you got to do your, then you got to do your ten minutes or fifteen minutes of comedy. You got to run the show. It's like your show. And the funny thing is, people would come up to me sometimes that don't know comedy when I was emceeing. I remember thinking that I was my show. Oh yeah, it was really good. That headliner, that the last guy was really funny, man. You got it was a great show you did. It's like. And also it teaches you how to command an audience, how to introduce people, how to all of that sort of stuff. A good MC, I'll take a good MC uh, any day of the week. Somebody who knows how to introduce me, someone who knows how to get a crowd going and bring the crowd down just right for the feature, then bring them right back up, then introduce the headliner. That's a fucking skill set that every comic should know. Exactly. Um, So a couple of comments and then I, I had something to say about like a personal experience about Something that Lamont said about how, you know, when, 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 if you don't think you're ready, you really should be honest with yourself. That's, I think that's what builds better comics, better comedians, being honest with yourself. So, a couple comments, really quick. Uh, Tam says, uh, the ones who annoy me are the people who make a couple of their friends laugh on a Saturday night beer night. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they think they are better than Billy Connolly, uh, who has almost 50 years experience. I, I know. And then Lamont says, uh, Canada philosophy, much better than U.S. Host spot is a headliner, uh, more respected and revered uh, than here. So here, I tell you guys really quick. I know we got to get ready to go in a little bit. Uh, the, a personal story. Uh, and and and. Lamont knows this and Ian knows this as well, but like I, I started in the Northwest and anybody else watching the show, if you started in the Northwest, very underrated area to start comedy in. Like it really is like the Northwest is a really good place to start. If you want to learn the craft of performing, it was before COVID. Like it, it really, it was really untapped. And then just talent people started going up. You started to see the last comic go up there to see people and stuff like that. But I remember one time I'd only been doing comedy about a year, year and a half, something like that. And I used to write all my, uh, my, my uh, jokes on uh, that, those legal notepads you know, the yellow ones, you know what I'm saying? And everything, 
I had a line. What was it? Was just one line was a thought. It'd be like names of towns, and that would be it. That would be the entire joke in my head, like names of small towns, and that just would be it. And each I had three pages of one line thoughts, not even thought out setup premises, callback punchline, none of that shit, right? But I'm a year in. I'm thinking this. Come on, this shit is gonna murder regardless of when I do it. It doesn't matter, right? What's with and towns, so, people? Exactly, right? So I'm at the underground, I'm at the comedy underground, and I'm at the bar, and I forgot who it was. I forgot who it was. Um, and they, they came to me, and then they said, well, uh, oh, um, how long you been doing comedy? I said, I've been doing it about a year, year and a half. And they said, well, how much time do you got? And no bullshit. <laughs> I flipped through the thing, and I was like, I got about three hours. I got about three hours of material and the person knew and off the jump, he was like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. So you've been doing comedy a year, year and a half, and you have three hours of material. And I was like, yeah, yeah, about that. You know? Uh, and he says, well, how much solid time do you have? And I was <laughs> like, minutes. <laughs> well, that's why it's funny. Cause when he says solid time, I'd never even heard of that term solid time and i was like well what do you mean solid time he says how much time do you have that from the time you get on stage to the time that you say good night people are guaranteed to laugh and and this is what i mean by being honest with yourself in this profession i looked flipped through that same notebook and i was like i don't know a few minutes probably <laughs> and that, that was it because i knew None of that, none of those jokes had been worked out. They were just thoughts. And then when I started seeing what a setup and a punchline was, what a caught, what a real premise was, and how you flush out a premise, and then you got to take it to a stage. Then you got to take it to two stages. You got to take it to three, four stages. Then when you get it good in that area, then you got to take it out of town. Then when you take it out of town, you got to make sure it hits in these spots. That takes so much more fucking time. So when I see these people now that don't get it. That don't it, not only I'm sorry, not only they don't get it. It seems like they don't want to get it. Right. They don't. They don't want to understand. And then this is what you got to do to be better. Like I remember when I started in, in in the Northwest. If I had a gig, if I had a gig opportunity out of state, I took it. I'm like I don't give a fuck what it pays. I'm taking it because I got to go see how to make. I want to see how these jokes work in Cleveland. I want to see how they work in Texas. I want to see how they work in New York. And I don't think a lot of people have that kind of mentality nowadays and right. so so do you hear that and i know i know we got to wrap it up but paul let me ask you do you hear that kind of talk from the newer comics that that they want to venture out from their little bubble of the the open mic up the street and uh in in uh you know long beach or something or are they just kind of in their own zone there's a lot of, and it's uh, we we've spend so much time kind of harping on clubs and producers there's a lot of delusion in my in my generation you know like a lot of delusion of hey i'm a headliner you know less than a year in. like there's a lot of that um people are always all talk you know i want to tour i want to do this i want to do that one of the biggest lessons that i've learned so far in my not even my comedy career but in my podcast production career i had a guy who I was interning for back when I first started like producing podcasts and he, I was telling him about 
some kind of opportunity, right? That, that somebody was giving me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And this show is going to be like this and this, this, this. And he just stopped me. And he said, you know, he's like, you're a lot of talk. He's like, you have a lot of ideas. You have a lot of this, You, but what are you doing? He's like, what are you, you know, you, you, you say these things like they've already happened. They haven't happened yet. He's like, try this. Don't talk about something until it's already done. And that kind of like, I was angry when he said this, right? Like when he said, like, I heard the, I read the secret and I have to talk about it for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, why are you shutting me down? Why are you like, to me, it was like, oh, he doesn't believe in me, but it took me so long to realize like, oh no, he was setting me up to actually accomplish stuff and to do stuff. So I, when I first, so I'm in a weird subset of the LA comedy scene. Cause I'm in what's called the IE comedy scene, right. which is East of LA. There's a whole comedy scene. We have our own, you know, like kind of like Ontario improv used to be flappers in Claremont. Uh, we have our own, our own group. And when I first kind of got there, you know, there weren't a lot of people that were venturing out of the bubble. Now there were people who, cause like Connor McSpadden was part of it. And like, you know, there were a lot of people that eventually now they write for TV shows and they've really blown out of that bubble. But if you were an IE comic, you only performed in the IE, you know, you didn't take LA gigs. You didn't make the drive because you held this comedy scene as being so precious. You were like, I can just exist in this bubble and I'm fine with it. But yeah. once people started to go out to LA, go out to OC and then eventually start going out of state. There's a lot of people that consistently perform in Arizona, Vegas, all these places. Like now we're doing rather than just talking about it, you know, like the, the biggest bummer from this whole quarantine thing, the whole pandemic was I was finally booked to go on an East coast tour Uh opening up for one of my buddies. And it was a dream come true because I mean, we were going to do this. It was a baseball stadium tour. So we would perform one night and then the next day go to the baseball game and then perform one night. And it was flight paid, food paid. uh, Plus, I would get paid at the end of the tour. It was like a dream come true for somebody who's my years in comedy. And that all got delayed. So, I mean, there's not a lot of people who. But it's going to be better when it comes back for you. That's what I'm hoping. That's what, and we we've already talked about replanning it. But unless you're a doer, unless you're someone, I don't even listen to when my fellow comics, like the people that are my generation, when they talk to me about what they're gonna do, my brain shuts off. I'm like, I don't care about what you're gonna do anymore. And it's the mindset that that person that I hated, they probably hate me the same way I hated that other person. But when you say what you're gonna do. You haven't done it yet. It doesn't mean anything. It's just words. I'm going to go to the moon. I'm like, what? I mean, you might as well, right? You can go. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to be president. You can do right. whatever you want. I'm going to be president. But I look at like what the person's been doing and the effort. Like I'm more willing to give somebody an opportunity that's, you know, that I see is actually wanting to grow rather than wanting to appear as if they've grown. Yeah. yeah. Smart. By the way, Ty, I want to do, a, I want to do a, an impression or a sketch. I want you to be that club booker. I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to be you if you were a, a current L.A. open micer. <laughs> Go ahead. I got my yellow legal pad right hey, here. Hey, I see you. I see you got stuff written down there, man. Uh, how yeah. long have you been at this? Uh, uh, about a year. Do some open mics around town. Oh, okay. Good for you, man. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Uh, so about how much time you got nowadays, you know? Oh, man. About three hours. About three hours material. I'm um, so wait. Three hours. Yeah. So you've been doing about a year, year and a half. You about, and you got three hours of material. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How yeah. much? Uh, well, how much? How much solid time you got? 
About four hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. That is LA. It is LA. Hilarious. <laughs> You know, real, real okay. quick before we go, I want to bring something up because Ty, I was talking about that before we go, and then and I want Ty just a quick comment on this because to everyone out there, here is something Ty and I come up. We do that. We were doing, like I said, I've done my own shows. I last nine, ten years. Also, I've done Ty and I for uh, many years now. We're doing our divided comedy tour where we would go out and do stuff, and and we produce our own shows. We'd four wall a club. We'd take a Thursday night at the at the at the. Uh, Comedy Works in Denver. We'd rent a theater in, in Salem, Oregon. We'd rent a theater in Austin, Texas, or whatever the deal was, and we would rent it. We would do our own shows. We'd do our own marketing. We would do our own thing. We'd, we'd put ourselves up. We'd fly there. We'd cover every all the expenses. And sometimes, again, sometimes we'd get 50 people in there, and we'd lose some money. And other times, we'd sell out, and we'd be like, wow, we, we'd, make, we'd make decent money. It would be, you know, we, we never were like, you know, when I weren't, weren't touring and making millions of dollars, but it was like, there was times where it was like, we made better money than we would as a, at a comedy club. And there are times when it was like, damn, we barely broke even. This sucks. But every time that we had those, oh shit, we barely broke even, you know, the, every single time, and it usually was Ty, but, but we'd remind ourselves, usually it was Ty that would remind you, go, hey, you know what? Every single one of these people in this theater in Mount Vernon, Washington, in Spokane, Washington, wherever the fuck we are, that we ain't from, every single one of these people had to come to a venue that doesn't normally do comedy, buy a ticket that was 20, 25 bucks, whatever it was, to see us perform, whether they knew us, you know, and sometimes that was because they were the, my, my atheist people. I would promote and we'd get 100 of them out or 10 of them out. Sometimes it was because they saw Ty on Last Comic Standing or the AGT or Tonight Show or whatever he did. That would bring them out. Sometimes it was just like comedy. Let's check it out. We don't know any of these guys. And sometimes we get people who come in and be like, there was only 50 people here. How the fuck did 50 people not know that Todd Barnett and Ian Harris were doing comedy in this little town. And how is this place not packed? And then other times you get people who'd be like, I never heard of either one of you guys. You motherfuckers were funny. And we're yeah. like, <laughs> and all these different, this gambit of different things from sold out shows. Like we'd sell out a 300 some seat theater in Salem, Oregon, sell it out. The two times we went, we went there. I think the last time we went there was 20 empty seats and then go to another town, 50 people. Well, okay, whatever. But every time it was those people buying tickets to see us, right. even without millions of followers on Instagram right. or whatever the deal was. And again, sometimes they were huge fans who couldn't believe that they saw us. Sometimes it was people who, who had no clue. Sometimes there are people that hated, you know, be like, yeah, that show wasn't as well. Other times there are people just were blown away. Like, how the fuck did I not know about you guys? I'm fine. Oh, we never heard of you. Seriously, it was it's it's ridiculous the different level, but but every single time I felt bummed about it, and Ty would always go, every one of these people paid Came money to, see to come see us in a place that, that that wasn't doing anything last night. Right. It was an empty theater. And, and, and that's something to remember. And this and and, and so this is you know what? It's perfect that you said that because this is a good way to take this out. Here's what we're going to start trying to do. And each of us are going to try and do it each. We're going to end like last last year. It was like empathy. We would always end on a theme of like, hey, take this with you going forward. I want to start doing something different um, in a motivational sense with the same kind of mentality going forward. Um, I, and it's not my quote. It's not it didn't come from me, but I have been using this 
and for, for what what I've been trying to do and creating stuff like that going forward. And this is the what I'm trying to hold on to. So anybody watching, anybody listening to the show and all that, this is from Will Smith. Uh, and Will Smith it talks about the one brick mentality. I don't know if you guys have seen it or heard of it, but it's the one brick mentality where it says, well, people go into life sometimes. I'm, I'm paraphrasing all of this. I know it's way more detailed if you go look it up. But people go into this mentality of everything has to be so gigantic as I need the wall now. I need the wall right now. I need it right. It needs to be built right now. And sometimes it may work for certain people, but you have to understand it has to start with one brick. Whatever it is, he says, you know what? I'm not even worried about the wall right now. But whatever this brick is, I'm going to lay this brick as perfectly as possible. This is going to be the most perfectly laid brick period. And then I move to the next brick. Then I move to the next brick. And then before you know it, you have that wall because you weren't so focused on putting the wall up first. You were focused on putting that one brick in place and then adding to that. So this is what I've, I, I decided to do, not just in my, my professional life, but my personal life is to just really just approach these things like that. Like I'm working on something right now that's taking me a long fucking time to do. It really shouldn't take that long to do, but I want it done well. So my whole point is to anybody, the message going forward, we got through a really tough year. We got through a really, really, really shitty year. Uh, and you're still here. You still got your loved ones here and you still got your opportunities. So to everyone, just focus on that one brick. If you got a project you want to do, focus on that one thing, get it done. Then you move to the next one. If you're feeling down about yourself, Understand that it's one step at a time to get you to the next level. As long as you're moving forward, even if you're taking baby steps, you still are moving forward. Um, and to what Ian said about our shows, anybody out there, and this is what I always tell people. What we do, you know, if, if you get into this business for money, you're going to be disappointed. That's just a fact. You're going to be disappointed, period. So it has to be a love that comes from this. Ian loves what he does. I love what I do. Paul, you love what you do. As long as everything comes from that and you keep moving forward, you'll have a better situation and a better outcome. You'll hardly ever be, you shouldn't be disappointed because you're still moving forward. Uh, again, I want to reiterate, happy new year to everybody. Uh, I want to say send a special shout out uh, to my, my one of my inspirations, my baby bro, uh, Monsoon Starah. Well, as I call him, Joe, I know, I don't know how many people know your real name, bro, but uh, Joe, my, my baby bro. Right over here? Here. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see him. Uh, so, yeah, I want to because he, he inspires me in a lot of ways, even though he's younger than me. But um, shout out to all of the people out there uh, that made it through la a tumultuous year. Keep moving forward. Uh, that's it for my end. Ian will tell you how to reach the show. Uh, and thank you to our guest, our producer. Thanks. Paul, thank you very much, bro. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Um, yeah, by the way, um, your, your brother over here says that he has six days worth of material and that most drug dealers do it one brick at a time as well. So um, we got to get those stuff. <laughs> 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 and by the way, it's that, going in the act. It's going yeah. in the act. Shout out again to everybody that commented, by the way, too. Yeah. And, uh, and, look. And when I protest, I throw one brick at a time. That's right. Um, so. <laughs> uh, shout out to Lamont. Shout out to Tam. Shout out to uh, Robert was in there earlier. Uh, Tarina was in there. Uh, let's see who else. Deborah was in there. That's my mom's name. Uh, Joey was in there. 
Uh, Alicia's net J E. And uh, again, thank you all very much. And you can uh, be sure to download the podcast. Um, although this seems to be the live is our thing. We go live every Friday when it's not a major holiday like last year. Um, and, uh, or something comes up every Friday at noon Pacific. We go live. Uh, we're trying to get some new guests on this year. We got a couple guests lined up for the new year. It's going to be good. And then, uh, if you want to donate something to us, patreon.com slash critical and thinking, please download our show podcast form. Because uh, that's how the numbers get built, and we don't push that enough because of our our Facebook Live. People seem to like it, but uh, it's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher, it's on all those places where you can get podcasts downloaded. Especially the iTunes one, it helps uh, and rate it and like it and all that stuff. It really helps us. So that's where the numbers can actually be seen by people. So they go, oh, these people are popular being downloaded. Even though, honestly, the Facebook has been blowing up. We've been getting lots of views, lots and lots of views. So um, the Facebook is 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 good. But please download it, even if you got to toss it away. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm easy to find Ian Harris, com- uh, comedian.com or skeptic comedian.com. Ty, where they can find you. Comedian Ty Barnett.com, which has all the links to all the different platforms and all of that. And, uh, go in there. You can see different content. That's just, you know, it's comedy based and all that type of right. stuff. And, Paul, and uh, what about you, Paul? Yeah. Hit me up at the Paul Antonio. Uh, my company right now is, uh, at killing it comedy co. And, uh, you could also follow, uh, at comedy pop-up. I still produce for comedy pop-up. All right. Thank you guys. Happy New Year, both you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Take care. Out.